Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about gastroenteritis. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash gastroenteritis or in the gastroenterology section of the Zero to Finals pediatrics book. So let's get straight into it. Acute gastritis refers to inflammation of the stomach and this presents with nausea and vomiting. Enteritis refers to inflammation of the intestines and presents with diarrhea. Gastroenteritis is inflammation all the way from the stomach to the intestines and it presents with nausea, vomiting and diarrhea. Gastroenteritis is very common in children. Viral gastroenteritis is the most common cause. It's very easy to spread and patients presenting with gastroenteritis often have an affected family member or contact. It's essential to isolate the patient in any healthcare environment, such as a pediatric assessment unit or hospital ward, as it can be very easy for them to spread gastroenteritis to other patients. The main concern in children with gastroenteritis is dehydration. The key to managing the condition is to establish whether they're able to keep themselves hydrated or whether they need admission for IV fluids. Antibiotics are generally not recommended or required. Most children make a full recovery with simple, supportive management, but beware that gastroenteritis can potentially be fatal, especially in very young or vulnerable children with other health conditions. Diarrhea has a few differential diagnoses. Loose stools are a common complaint and not all cases are caused by gastroenteritis. Stools from normal healthy babies can vary from loose several times a day to one form stool per week. Steatorrhea means greasy stools with excessive fat content and this suggests a problem with digesting fats such as from a pancreatic insufficiency and you should think about cystic fibrosis. Key conditions to think of when patients have loose stools are infection, inflammatory bowel disease, lactose intolerance, celiac disease, cystic fibrosis, toddler's diarrhea, irritable bowel syndrome, and medications, particularly antibiotics. Now let's talk about some of the different causes of gastroenteritis. Viral gastroenteritis is common and it's highly contagious and the common causes are rotavirus and norovirus. Adenovirus is a less common cause and presents with more subacute diarrhea, so slowly developing and less severe diarrhea over a longer period. Another cause of gastroenteritis is E. coli. An E. coli is a normal intestinal bacteria and only certain strains cause gastroenteritis. It's spread through contact with infected feces, unwashed salads or contaminated water. E. coli 0157 is a key bug that you need to remember as it produces the sugar toxin and this causes abdominal cramps, bloody diarrhea and vomiting and the sugar toxin destroys blood cells and leads to hemolytic uremic syndrome, or HUS. The use of antibiotics increases the risk of hemolytic uremic syndrome. Antibiotics should be avoided if E. coli gastroenteritis is being considered. Another cause of gastroenteritis is Campylobacter jejuni. Campylobacter is a common cause of traveler's diarrhea and it's the most common bacterial cause of gastroenteritis worldwide. Campylobacter means curved bacteria, 
And it's a gram-negative bacteria that has a curved or a spiral shape. And it's spread by raw or improperly cooked poultry, untreated water, and unpasteurized milk. Incubation is usually two to five days and symptoms resolve after three to six days. And the symptoms are abdominal cramps, diarrhea, often with blood, vomiting, and fever. Antibiotics can be considered after you isolate the organism and you know the cause of the infection. And also where patients have severe symptoms or other risk factors such as HIV or heart failure. Popular antibiotic choices are azithromycin and ciprofloxacin for treating Campylobacter. Another cause of gastroenteritis is Shigella. And Shigella is spread by drinking water, swimming pools or food that's being contaminated by feces. The incubation period is one to two days and symptoms usually resolve within one week without treatment. It causes bloody diarrhea, abdominal cramps and fever. Shigella can produce the sugar toxin and cause hemolytic uremic syndrome. Treatment of severe cases of Shigella is with azithromycin or ciprofloxacin. Another cause of gastroenteritis is salmonella. Salmonella is spread by eating raw eggs or poultry or food contaminated with the infected feces of small animals. Incubation is 12 hours to 3 days and symptoms usually resolve within one week. It causes watery diarrhea that can be associated with mucus or blood, also abdominal pain and vomiting. Antibiotics are only necessary in severe cases and should be guided by the stool culture and sensitivities. Another cause of gastroenteritis is Bacillus cereus. And Bacillus cereus is a gram-positive rod that's spread through inadequately cooked food. It grows well on food, not immediately refrigerated after cooking. And the typical food is fried rice that's been left out at room temperature. Whilst growing on food, it produces a toxin called cerulide. And this toxin produces abdominal cramping and vomiting within five hours of ingestion. When the bacillus cirrus arrives in the intestine, it produces different toxins that cause watery diarrhea. And this occurs more than eight hours after ingestion. Usually all the symptoms resolve within 24 hours. The typical disease course is vomiting within five hours, then diarrhea after eight hours, then resolution within 24 hours. So a tom tip at this point, The typical exam patient with Bacillus cereus develops symptoms soon after eating leftover fried rice that's been left out at room temperature. It has a short incubation period after eating the rice before symptoms occur and they recover fully within 24 hours. Examiners like this question because the course of Bacillus cereus is easy to distinguish from other causes of gastroenteritis. So if you remember one cause of gastroenteritis, this is probably the most likely to come up in your exams. Another cause of gastroenteritis is Yersinia enterocolitica. Yersinia is a gram-negative bacillus and pigs are key carriers of Yersinia and eating raw or undercooked pork can cause infection. It's also spread through contamination with urine or feces of other infected mammals, such as rats or rabbits. Yersinia most frequently affects children, causing watery or bloody diarrhea, abdominal pain, fever, and lymphadenopathy with swollen lymph nodes. Incubation is four to seven days, and the illness can last longer than other causes of enteritis, 
with symptoms lasting three weeks or more. Older children or adults can present with fever and right-sided abdominal pain due to mesenteric adenitis, which is painful and swollen lymph nodes in the abdomen. And this can give the impression of appendicitis. Antibiotics are only necessary in severe cases and should be guided by the stool culture and sensitivities. Another cause of gastroenteritis is Staphylococcus aureus toxin. And the Staph aureus bacteria can produce enterotoxins when they grow on food such as eggs, dairy and meat. When eaten, these toxins cause small intestine inflammation. And this causes symptoms of diarrhea, profuse vomiting, abdominal cramps and fever. And these symptoms start within hours of ingestion and settle within 12 to 24 hours. It's not actually the bacteria that's causing the enteritis, but it's the Staphylococcus enterotoxin that's causing it. The final cause of gastroenteritis we're going to discuss is giardiasis. Giardia lamlia is a type of microscopic parasite, and it lives in the small intestines of mammals. These mammals may be pets, farmyard animals, or humans. It releases cysts into the stools of the infected mammals, and the cysts contaminate the food or water that are being eaten and infect the host. And this is called fecal oral transmission. Infection may not cause any symptoms, or it may cause a chronic diarrhea. And the diagnosis is made by stool microscopy, and treatment is with metronidazole. So let's talk about the general principles of managing gastroenteritis. Good hygiene helps to prevent the gastroenteritis. When patients present with symptoms, they should immediately be isolated to prevent spread of the gastroenteritis to other patients. Barrier nursing and rigorous infection control is important for patients in hospital to prevent the spread to other patients. And children need to stay off school until 48 hours after the symptoms have completely resolved. A sample of feces can be tested for microscopy, culture and sensitivities to establish the causative organism and the antibiotic sensitivities. The key to managing gastroenteritis is to ensure the patient remains hydrated whilst you wait for the diarrhea and vomiting to settle. You can attempt something called a fluid challenge in children and each hospital will have a policy for this and this involves giving a small volume of fluid orally every 5 to 10 minutes to ensure the child can tolerate it. If they're able to tolerate oral fluid and are adequately hydrated, they can usually be managed at home. Rehydration solutions, for example Dioralite, can be used if they're tolerated. And dehydrated children or those that fail the fluid challenge may require IV fluids. Once oral intake is tolerated, a light diet can be slowly reintroduced Dry foods such as toast may be better tolerated. Antidiarrheal medications like loperamide or antiemetic medications such as metoclopramide are generally not recommended. Antidiarrheal medications are particularly avoided in E. coli 0157 and Shigella infections and where there's bloody diarrhea or a high fever. Antibiotics should only be given in patients that are at risk of complications once the causative organism is confirmed. There's a few post-gastroenteritis complications that are possible and these include lactose intolerance, irritable bowel syndrome, reactive arthritis 
and Guillain-Barre syndrome. So thanks for listening to this episode on gastroenteritis. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. If you found the podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Pediatrics book. You can also download a full audiobook version of the Zero to Finals Medicine and Zero to Finals Pediatrics books on Audible. And you can find all the notes, videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerotofinals.com. And I hope you tune in to the next episode, which will be on celiac disease.